We so thank you for joining us at Connections Podcast. We, as educators of human connection, invite and encourage healing and facilitate personal growth through impeccable honesty, rigorous personal responsibility, and vulnerable humility. We invite everyone who's interested in gaining greater connection with oneself, others, and God to continue on your educational road to happiness and joy through our simple yet life-changing three-step curriculum. First, search our library for personal learning, podcasts, videos, and workbooks. Second, register with our classroom for familial, parental, expert, and business classes. And third, join our community for personal coaching and group practicums. Thank you again and enjoy our podcast. So glad you are here this morning with me. Uh, This morning I want to talk about perceptions, emotional honesty, and boundaries, and how those three concepts interweave and affect and can compound each other for, um, for, for lack of a better word, for positive and negative outcomes. Um, I don't like saying those words because it sounds so polarized, those two positions, but you know, all of us have experiences that we really like and we really appreciate, and we all have experiences that we don't. And um, though all experience, I believe, is very neutral, and it's all there to teach us, it's still, there are still some experiences that are more pleasurable than others. So how do perceptions, emotional honesty, and boundary all relate? Um, so in order to be able to hold boundaries for your, for yourself, and again, if I talk about something that you don't really understand very well, go back to former podcasts, because I have discussed all these concepts in great, great detail. Um, and so always go back and refresh yourself. So um, if I am wanting to hold boundaries for myself, so um, being able to teach somebody about me, that's really what a boundary is for. It's there to educate another person about who I am, what my thoughts are, what my feelings are, what my beliefs, my standards, my morals, my my ideologies, like where I stand, um, interpersonal, intrapersonally, um, uh, in this experience called life. So if I'm going to accurately be able to hold my boundaries, I must know how to be honest. And not just factually honest, but I must know how to be emotionally honest. And that's way different than only being factually honest. I mean, I can look at something and see the facts of it. You know, like um, I can see a car driving by. That is a fact. And this is the color of the car. And I can see that there's, you know, it's a certain time during the day. And so I can talk about the certain facts. And I know what I'm wearing. Or you know what I'm, um, you know, I'm hearing birds singing. Or let's say that I um, I got a whiff of smoke, and so I can smell smoke. I don't know what it, like where it's coming from, but I can smell it. So I can I can hook into these factual pieces of data, and be honest about them. However, for many of us, we struggle with being emotionally honest with ourselves, and it is directly tied into our ability or inability. Uh, consciously or unconsciously, our ability or inability to perceive um, our world in such a way that is honest. 
factually honest and emotionally honest. Now, when I say that, um, you know, the thing that's so wonderful about all of us is that we all have different angles, different ways that we come at things, which is just delightful. I love that about people. And at the end of the day, there are realities that are undeniable. So like, for example, there is gravity that is undeniable. We all live by that principle. Um, another principle that we all live by is that when we are dishonest, we feel pain. Every one of us feels pain. And those of us that have numbed ourselves to such a great degree that we no longer feel pain when we um, are dishonest, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't, it just means that we're numb. Um, and so it is a, it's a universal truth that we all live by. Um, and there are many, many more that, um, that all of us are bound to. And so it's one of the wonderful things about being human is that we get to honor these particular boundaries that the universe has set up and um, live accordingly so that we uh, aren't harmed. So I want to learn how to be emotionally honest and how to be factually honest. And so therefore I need to be able to perceive my world in a very real way. And so let's talk about what that looks like. How do you know how to stay in reality? How do you know you're perceiving reality? It's kind of an intriguing question, isn't it? I ask myself that all the time. Like, am I, am I present? <laughs> am, I, am I conscious? Am I, am I seeing what's going on? Not just seeing, but hearing and experiencing and feeling and uh, you know, what's around me. So the first place that we've got to go is we've got to learn how to know yourself. And as you know yourself, you're in this dynamic with learning how to love yourself. So knowing yourself would incorporate just a handful of things. And there's, there's many more things here, but here's a handful. You must be aware of your thoughts. Um, thoughts that are going in, like from other people, ideas that are coming in and what you think about those, um, what you say to other people. So what kind of thoughts you're having around what you want to share with others. Um, you also need to know what you're feeling. And remember, your thoughts and feelings are, are intricately connected with each other. Um, <clears throat> when you have a thought, you're going to have a corresponding emotion. It just happens that way. I mean, I kind of play with myself sometimes, and I'll, I'll intentionally have certain thoughts and just watch my emotions shift. It's so fascinating how powerful our thoughts are. And then I'll shift back to another thought. Um, and the emotion changes. And so I'll, I'll kind of, like I said, play with myself and I'll, I'll say something like, <clears throat> you know, I'm here by myself and I have a, a home that I live in and sometimes I'm there by myself and, and I can kind of freak myself out. I can say to myself like, oh my goodness, you know, what if someone breaks in downstairs and, and what if I don't hear them and wh what if they're down there right now and, and what if they're, you know, um, kind of milling around in the weight room and, you know, and I, I kind of can can uh, get into this fantasy and all of a sudden I can start feeling afraid and then I'll say stop there's nobody downstairs um, and uh, you know the doors are locked I already went down there and checked them and even if someone is downstairs I can take care of myself and you know if someone has some intention to hurt me then you know so be it that will be an experience I'll experience but don't get myself self all upset and I'll my feelings will change 
just they'll just follow that 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 line of thinking and it really has empowered me to realize that our minds are incredibly incredibly um um powerful and um the suggestions that we choose to follow create the emotions that we have and they also create our perceptions and so i need to know my thoughts my feelings I need to know my perceptions, my expectations, my fears. I need to know how shame talks to me. I need to know the distortions that shame slash pride speak in my head. And I also need to know where my wounds are, where the trauma in my life that I haven't healed uh, resides and how that comes up. Um, again, there's probably many other areas I need to know about myself, but just this is a handful to start with. So as I know those things about myself, I then can move into loving myself. And so how does knowing yourself equate into loving yourself? Well, loving yourself, um, uh, it's, it's not only about taking care of yourself physiologically. Loving yourself also, and I would say more importantly, includes being able to love your soul and so how do you love your soul? I mean, you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't go take it on a walk. Um, so how do you do that? Well, what I believe, what I have experienced in my life and have watched um, over the years working with thousands of people is teaching people how to love their spirit is teaching them how to be honest about all those things I just mentioned. Be honest about your thoughts, be honest about your feelings, be honest about your perceptions and be humble and be willing to acknowledge if something that you've done or said has offended or affected uh, poorly yourself or someone else. Um, know what your expectations are. And again, expectations are not bad things. They are something that all of us have because it, it creates meaning for our life. We need expectations. We just get to not put them on others. And so I get to have all the expectations I want um, and then I get to be responsible for them. And that's where it gets a little tricky. That's where it shifts into drama is that I have expectations and then I just unconsciously expect you to meet them. And uh, here we go, uh, jumping into a drama cycle with somebody. So I, I need to be honest about my fears, um, the choices that I make, the, the outcomes that come from my choices, uh, the wounds that I have that are, are not dealt with from the, my past that... Uh, will continue to present themselves in your present. They really do because they're trying to be um, evidence. They're trying to be healed. And a lot of us, one, don't recognize that that's what's happening. And two, um, we don't know how to heal them. And that's why we keep hanging on to them. Um, and we also need to be honest about uh, the distortions that I hear and that I, I agree with or I follow or I behave. Um, through my shame messages or my pride messages. So be honest about all those things. It equates to learning how to love your soul. And then you get to be responsible. As you become aware of all those things I just mentioned, you then get to be responsible and share with yourself and share with others about what you're going to do about all these things. Um, learning about them is one thing. Being able to language them is one thing. But being able to take responsibility for them and put an action to them is a whole nother uh, ball game. And uh, it really starts creating the character of the individual when they are willing to take responsibility for the things that they become aware of inside themselves and um, 
uh, hold their expectations in such a way that they say, okay, these are mine. I expect you to love me. However, um, it, it needs to not be an expectation. It needs to be a choice that you make. You choose to love me. Um, many of us are in relationships where we expect people to do that. You know, children, or excuse me, parents expect children to love them and um, you know, friends expect people to love them and especially uh, lovers expect each other to love the other person, which is fine to have that expectation. However, you cannot demand it. And so it has to stop right at your border and not cross over into another person's border. And therefore, it gives the other person an opportunity to choose to love. Um, and so with being honest and choosing to be responsible for your own awareness around all those items, or about seven items I just listed, you must be willing, willing slash humble, to... Um, to acknowledge um, that you don't get to blame people. Um, you get to learn how to validate self and other people. Uh, you must continue in this, in this search or this, um, this willingness on your part to keep knowing yourself. I mean, it's a constant process. It, it's not like you reach this place of full knowledge of self and you're done. Uh, every moment of every day, can give you new information about you. And then a very, very important piece that a lot of times um, doesn't get mentioned is that we also, in the state of being humble and being responsible for oneself and being honest with oneself, we get to learn how to surrender what is not in our control. And that is a very, very oftentimes painful thing to do is to surrender what I can't control. So, um, <clears throat> As you know yourself and you learn how to love yourself, you will then become intimately familiar with your perceptions uh, and you'll know where to put your boundaries. Um, and the other awesome thing about it is that you will have um, a, a lower propensity of going into drama. Drama is, is a very seductive place for many of us to go, well all of us to go really. And if we're not conscientious, we slip into that thing very, very quickly. So let's talk about those three components, perceptions, emotional honesty, and boundaries. So I have a, a handful of questions here from our listeners. One is, um, uh, what's the difference between setting boundaries versus lowering your expectations? So what's the difference between setting boundaries and lowering your expectations? So we just talked about the only way to be able to set a boundary is that you must know yourself. And so um, boundaries really have um, very little to do with someone else's expectations. You know, like, so someone else expects me to do something. <clears throat> and so I'm concerned that I need to lower my expectations and the truth is that you know I may choose to lower my expectations but I need to know what my motive is so when I set a boundary um, I need to or I have the opportunity to look at myself and say why am I setting this why is this necessary I must know what's driving me what's motivating me to do this and it's there to again boundaries are there to teach 
They're there to protect, but they're also there to teach. So my boundary I put up, the boundary I set is to protect myself um, from impending physical, emotional, spiritual, financial threat or some kind of danger and or it's there to teach um, myself and another person about where I am. It's kind of like, here's my fence. And people can see it like, oh, there's the person's boundary. And so when they ask, what's the difference between setting a boundary versus lowering your expectation? You get to choose whether you're going to lower what you expect from yourself or what you expect from another person. Now, I just got done talking about that you need to keep your expectations at your borders. And that's true. And you can have expectations of a, an entity or a person that, that you can um, keep high. You can keep your expectations high for that experience or that person or that thing because you want them to show up a particular way or you expect that they're going to show up a particular way. Uh, but they still have choice. It doesn't mean that that will happen. It just means that I am going to anticipate that they will show up this way. So, for example, I have an expectation that the sun will rise. I have no history of my relationship with the sun that it doesn't rise every morning. I mean, yes, as the season changes over the years, it, it comes up later in the day than it does in the summertime where I live. And some, place, some people who are listening to this, it'll come up earlier in the wintertime. Um, and so there's this relationship I have, and I have an expectation that that will happen. Um, I have uh, an expectation around um, that I won't get sick. And so if and when I do become ill, um, I don't lower my expectations like, oh, well, then I shouldn't expect to not get sick. I just take responsibility for what's going on. I get the help that I need and I stay um, conscious and aware of what I need to do to heal. Um, and so it's totally fine and it's actually really, really healthy to keep expectations um, high around certain things in your life and, and also specifically around self. Like I expect myself to be um, rigorously honest. I do. Now, am I? all the time? No, I'm not. You know, I, I, I don't know how to do that. But when I become conscious of something that I have not been completely forthcoming around, I will hold myself accountable and, um, you know, self-correct. And if I need to, I'll go back and talk to whoever it is I've talked to and, and um, uh, disclose to them that I wasn't completely forthcoming and I need to um, give them more information. So basically, I'll I'll uh, go to them and say, I withheld information or I distorted information. And it's not, a, it's not a, a, a bad thing or a wrong thing. It's a human thing. So when you become sensitive to your, um, your lack of rigor around honesty and being accountable, just clean it up. Clean it up quick. There's, there's nothing inappropriate about it. It's what helps you become really aware and um, connected to knowing and then loving oneself. So if you choose to lower your expectations, oftentimes it means that you're um, losing enthusiasm around something or you're losing hope around something. 
Um, not all the time, but it can mean that. Um, or maybe you set too high of an expectation, like I expect my two-year-old to go to Yale. That might be too, too high of an expectation. But to expect them to um, go to college, it's fine. To expect them to get an education, to expect them to um, always be seeking out new information and learning, those are fine expectations. Um, and, and not that going to Yale isn't a fine expectation, but to look at a two-year-old and then place that kind of, of ceiling on them um, could be uh, a setup for disaster for you and that, that kiddo. So you just got to look at, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. Why are you putting your expectations in certain places? And, um, and your expectations can be connected to, to boundaries in that they might have a, a, a direct tie together or they might not. Um, and so look at your boundaries and see if you agree with where you're putting it and why you're putting it there and then check and see if you have um, lowered expectations for yourself or something or someone else or if you feel like you have raised them and just know why. So that's the component, that's what ties those two together is you must know your motive around your boundaries and what you are expecting. Okay, another question. This person asks, I am having a hard time separating what I have been taught is right versus what is actually right. I feel it's hard to change unless there is a good example of what to follow. Um, where have you found grounding truths to govern your life and what are some of them? Okay, that's a, that's a challenging question. Like what this person has been taught is right versus what is actually right. So what I would say is that um, all of us have been raised in particular environments. And so in those environments, we've had many, many people who have um, affected us, who have influenced us, and they have taught us, quote unquote, what is right. And I have no idea what this person has learned is right versus what is, is actually right. But that is an individual personal journey for this person. And so I want to go back to what I was talking about before of understanding your own thoughts, your own feelings, your perceptions, your expectations, your fears, your wounds, your shame. You must understand that in order to be able to maneuver that question. Because you could have been raised in a very abusive household or a very uh, neglectful household. Or, um, you know, let's say you were, you were raised in a, in a very loving, connected um, household, but your environment, you know, maybe the, 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 the environment you work in or the school you went to or um, distant relatives lived in a lot of distortions. And so you get to always go back to self and keep recognizing, like, what does that feel like? What do I think about that? Does that feel like um, that is the truth to me? Um, I want to, right here... I'm going to talk about, I'm trying to find my paper that I wrote some notes on. Excuse me. Okay, I, I want to share with you <clears throat> what's called the distraction cycle. Um, I think it will be helpful right here with this question. So um, whenever I go into a situation, I'm trying to figure out what is right versus, you know, like what is true versus what is the truth. And that's kind of what this person's asking, like, 
How do I discern between what I was taught was right and what is actually right? Um, I would take that those two statements and um, make it into what is true versus what is the truth. Let's talk really quickly about what is true. So what is true is my perception. So the word true and truth are different. True incorporates my feelings, my perceptions, um, things that are changeable, things that can um, be flexed or moved or um, can be um, altered in some way. And so true, T-R-U-E, can be changed. Like, I like the color green, and then the next day I don't like the color green. So that is something that I can be, that I can change. So green is not the best color. It's just, for me, I, I like the color green. Um, and I can flex on that and either not like it one day <clears throat> or continue to like it. But it's not the truth. It's not an eternal or a factual um, statement of reality. So truth with the TH are things that are quantifiable, things that um, you can go back and see evidence of. Um, they, it's based, like I said, on eternal principles. Um, and it's something that is irrefutable. So knowing the difference between true and truth is very, very important because you're going to be able to, as you go throughout your life, you'll be able to say, okay, what is true here? So it's true that yesterday I was driving in my in my um, truck, actually that would be the truth. Um, and as I was driving along, I turned on the air conditioner and um, it didn't work. Those are all truths. And I was concerned. Um, I had thoughts of, this isn't good. I wonder how this thing broke. How much is it gonna cost me to fix it? Those are truths, T-R-U-E. Um, the truths were, I was in my car, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, I was driving down the road, and I turned on the air conditioner. Those are all truths. And then I now start interpreting what those truths, um, quote unquote, did to me, or caused me to experience. So that's where we have got to separate between what is real and what is um um, like what is real, which is what is the truth, facts, versus our perception or impressions of the facts. Because we will mix our storylines all together and we'll be telling a story and we'll tell it as though it is the, the, the absolute, um, you know, God-honest truth. And we'll be weaving our perceptions in and out of those facts. And this is, again, another place where drama happens. So um, let me describe what, what I call the distraction cycle to you. And if you'll get a piece of paper, I want to I give you an image of what this thing looks like. So all of us are having experiences all day long, okay? Um, our senses are taking in data constantly and giving us experience. An experience is very, very neutral. It, it doesn't, it's not biased. It's just what happens. Like, 
I was in my truck, I was driving down the road, I turned on the air conditioner. Those were all experiences I was having. And then all of a sudden I put, um, I put meaning onto those experiences. I personalize those experiences. And I will either go into one side, let me describe this left side, so get your paper out, write experience up at the top, and then make like, an, uh, like a, a half circle and draw this arch and then put down the word distraction and then underneath distraction put down shame, fear, and pride and then underneath that put down um, control, fear, and kind of make a circle right there. Put control and fear and then on the bottom part of that circle write down distractions and then in parentheses put fantasy and then as you go around that circle um, on the other side of the circle, write down setups. And so you've got a circle that the top says control and fear, the bottom part says distractions, parentheses, fantasy, and then as you come around the left side of the circle, it says setups. And so you've got this cycle of fear, control, distractions, and setups. Okay? And then go back up to experience and make another arch so it comes down the other side of the page and write the word truth. And then underneath truth, write Fear, anticipation, and excitement. And underneath that, write humility. And underneath that, write deconstruction of the distortions and fears. And then in the middle of those two columns, so you have experience and you have a column on the left side going down, you have a column on the right side going down, write the word choice. And I'd put lines from choice to all of those, um, all those words you just wrote down. Because choice is what is going to allow you to go to either of those places. So as you're having experiences, you are constantly in this, um, this relationship with choice. And you can either distort the experience or you can keep the experience in reality or in the truth. And so how do you know what you were taught is right or what is right? Again, it is a personal experience that you have with yourself. And as you go through this personal experience, you must be honest with yourself. This isn't about following someone else. It's about having your own personal relationship with the feelings you have inside yourself that tell you whether what you're doing is correct or not. And so, you know, everything that I teach is an invitation to come back to you and really be honest with yourself about how you feel when you make certain decisions. And so let's talk about this. I want to give a couple examples. Um, uh, th these are examples from my own life. And uh, I want to interweave this distraction cycle through these examples so you can see how I have an experience and I can balance in between truth and distortion, just back and forth, back and forth with the choices that I make. And my responsibility is to be conscious to such a degree that I stay more so on that right side where truth and responsibility and humility reside rather than live in distortion and distractions and create more fantasy and more fears and, and more distortions. So here's an example. Um, 
I, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was again driving and um, I had some car trouble. So I stopped at um, one of my favorite people on the planet, Rick, um, stopped to see him and he looked at my automobile for me. And he said to me, he's like, you know what, Jody, your tires uh, need to be, need to be um, changed. They're, they're very uh, bald. And he was very concerned about it. And uh, he said, you know, I think that you should be able to get to your destination and then come back through because I had to, I had to go someplace and then come back and pass by his place again. He goes, why don't you go to where you're going and then you come back through and I'll change them for you. I'm like, great, that'd be awesome. So I drive to my destination and I pull into this driveway and all of a sudden I hear this, whoosh, this really loud, it sounded like, um, some kind of pressure being released. I thought it was in the engine. And so I'm walking around the truck trying to figure out where that's coming from. And there was a perfectly round hole that was probably the size of the top of a nail. Um, and <clears throat> it looked like there had been a plug in the tire and all this air was coming out of the tire. And so I had an experience. That was my experience, is that I um, had a flat tire. Okay, and I was having all sorts of experiences prior to that, but I want to hone in on this one. Okay, so my tire is sitting there in this person's driveway, uh, deflating, and so I'm in my head. I'm trying to think about what to do. So I immediately put my thumb on the hole to plug it, <laughs> and I'm standing there with my finger on the hole, thinking, "Now what do I do?" <laughs> you know? um, and I sat there, and I had these thoughts of, "Okay." what needs to happen? I was trying to stay in reality. I need to call my insurance and have them come and um, address this issue. And then I thought about, you know, how much is this going to cost if I do that versus what if I just jumped in the truck really quickly and drove it down the road to the tire place? I wonder if I could get there in time before the tire went flat. I was having all these thoughts. Another thought was, um, to pull out my phone and and call the people who were inside and have them come out and see if they had something that they could stick in this hole to, to keep it from, from leaking anymore until I could get it to the tire store. So I was having all of these thoughts and I was trying to stay in the reality or the truth on the right-hand side. But I also had thoughts of distortion. And my distortion was, I can't believe this has happened to me. This isn't fair. Um, these things always happen. This is such an inopportune time for this to happen. Um, this is going to be so much money. I don't have it. And, um, you know, why, why am I having this experience? Uh, this doesn't, this doesn't seem, um, um, reasonable. You know, these kind of things typically go on in my life and, you know, I feel like I'm cursed kind of a thing. Um, I was having all of these distorted thoughts, which are, you know, these shame thoughts. Um, I have a thought of, oh my goodness, what if I can't get this truck down to uh, the place in time because it was a Saturday afternoon? What if they're already closed? How am I going to get back home? Um, I've got to go to work the next, next day. Um, I'm going to have to have, you know, someone come down from where I live to pick me up and that's going to be a lot of time and effort and, and money for them. I mean, I was, I was bouncing in between staying in reality and being sucked into this angle of distortion and shame and fear, um, and also pride. And so I was bouncing back and forth between these two as I sat there 
with my thumb on this hole, <laughs> this tire. And it was quite a sight. So um, my nephew came out and he said, what's going on? And so I told him, I you know, told him what happened and he just couldn't believe it. He's like, wow, that is so amazing that, that you got a flat tire like right here. <laughs> I mean, you could have had it anywhere else. And so he started giving me his reality, you know, like, like how he perceived the experience, which was really helpful because it took me out of my distortions and my shame. Like, oh yeah, that's true. It is really um, a, a, a quote unquote blessing that it happened right here in this driveway and not on the street somewhere where I could have been abandoned or stranded. Um, and so as I was sitting there with my finger in the hole, he and I made some decisions. And so he decided to go to some neighbors and see if he could find a jack. So that before the tire went completely flat, we wanted to get a jack underneath it to, to jack it up so we could take it off. So throughout this whole entire experience, I was very conscious that I kept being, um, uh, I would say seduced. <laughs> I was being invited into this distorted place of how bad this was and how it wasn't fair and how um, I don't deserve these things to happen and how... Uh, I was going into this this panic place of what if this and what if this and what if this and I'm not going to be able to do this and this is going to be bad and then saying stop, 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 come back over to the reality. The reality is, is that you have a hole in your tire and that it needs to be fixed. That's the reality and you have all sorts of resources and you can get help and you have, you know, your battery's charged and you can call different people and you have insurance and, and you're going to be fine. You're going to be inconvenienced, absolutely. Your plans are going to have to change for today. And everything is going to work out um, in a way that is uh, going to give you new experiences. And so I, I give you that example just so you can see how quickly it is to bounce back and forth between those two sides. Now, let me give you another example. Uh, probably about a month ago, um, I had a client come back into the office, and he gets into my office, and he says, uh, Jody, there's a mouse in your waiting room. And I'm like, oh dear. <laughs> and I said, how do you know that? And he said, well, because I saw it, it ran across the, the floor. I said, where did it go? And he said, it went into that office. Um, and I knew there was a woman in that office. And so I stood there in the hallway and I thought I was in, I was having an experience. So the experience was I was made aware that there was a mouse, and I, I actually saw it run into the office, so I saw it with my own eyes. So that was the truth. I saw it, and I was having this experience. And so my head went to, don't tell her it's in there because she will get very afraid. I went into this, this place of distortion and trying to control. Look on your left side of your paper. I was trying to control. I was trying to control her fear. Um, and I was thinking that, you know, it was okay to be, um, you know, to go into this, this, um, fix it mode for her. And that wasn't my responsibility. My responsibility was to be really forthcoming and to allow this woman, you know, if she saw this mouse to respond, however she needed to respond and not to walk in and act like I didn't know what I was doing and, and be looking for it. And so... I went into her office and I said, um, you know, Stacy, I just, I want you to be alarmed, but there is a mouse that just ran into your office. And she was very alarmed. She jumped up and got on top of the desk. <laughs> and I just, my heart just broke for her. 
And so here I was trying to stay in the truth by telling her what was going on and allowing her to have her own perception and her own experience instead of trying to control her experience, trying to control her fear. Now, some of you might be thinking like, well, isn't that kind to do that? Isn't that appropriate to, to not alarm people? And I'm not suggesting that this principle applies to every single situation. Um, especially this doesn't apply to children, but adults to adults, we don't get to control another person's experience. We don't. And so I would say that across the board, if you're working with another adult, it is appropriate to give them the information that they need so that they can come into reality and experience reality, um, to be present in reality instead of trying to quote unquote, help them or rescue them or save them any pain. That is an erroneous assumption that you, one, have permission to do that, and two, that that's what you're doing, that you're saving them or you're helping them from um, being hurt. My angle on this, and I, again, I've worked with lots of people in lots of different situations, is that people have a right to know what's going on. And it's not up to me to decide what people should know and what they shouldn't know. And so because people have a right to know what's happening, um, we don't get to withhold information in, in this, um, this attitude of, well, I, I didn't want to hurt them or I didn't want to upset them. You know, that's just a controlling position on my part. Um, and it's typically, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to upset them because I don't want to deal with their outcome. I don't want to deal with them crying or, or yelling or screaming or f their fear. I don't want to deal with it. So in this in this illusion of helping, I give myself permission to withhold information. It's kind of like a, a tangent I just went off on, but um, I would have you think about that and see if that resonates with you. So back to the mouse story. So here's Stacy up on the desk, and she's kind of doing this um, stomping on her desk because she's so freaked out. She's just kind of shaking and quivering. The poor thing, I feel so badly for her. And sure enough, the mouse runs right across the floor, and she sees it, and she squeals, and <clears throat> she has sandals on, so she's a little bit more um, upset about this thing running around her office. And so even though that was an uncomfortable experience for her, she was able to stay in the truth, the reality that that was in her office and that she was going to need to manage it. And all of us were going to support her. And so, you know, from there on out, we found some other people who um, did some things that, that um, were able to get the mouse out of the office. And um, but I, I really, um, I remember standing there in the hallway thinking, okay, what's, what's the reality thing to do? Like, how do I stay in reality? Um, the gentleman that was with me is like, you know, like, you sure you want to tell her? And I thought, well, no, I don't want to tell her because I, I, the chances are she's going to have a, a reaction that's going to be like that. No, I really don't. But at the same time, she has a right to know. She has a right to know the truth. And then she gets to decide. She gets to choose what she's going to do with it. Now, I have no idea how much she went into distortion while she was up on the desk versus how much truth she was in. It appeared that she was in distortion because there really was no reason to get on the desk other than... Um, her fear drove her, quote unquote, to jump on top of that desk. And so her fear, her shame, her distortions were telling her that something was dangerous. And it really wasn't dangerous. It was uncomfortable, but it wasn't dangerous. So she really didn't need to get up there. But I can have empathy for why her distortion created the perception that she needed to jump on top of the desk. 
So we're all having these experiences constantly. Um, and let me give you one more example. I was out on a, um, a cruise ship over the holidays. And I get a phone call from um, back home. And so I'm thousands and thousands of miles away from my home. I'm, I'm over in New Zealand. And I get a phone call saying that um, my dog had run away. And so here I was floating around on a cruise ship and my dog was running through the city. <laughs> and so here I was having an experience. I could do nothing. And so after I got off the phone, I sat there and I thought, okay, I have no power to do anything. I can't make phone calls out. Um, and so I have no ability to contact anybody. I don't even know who I'd contact. I'm really hoping that my dog has her collar on. So I'm trying to stay in the truth of what's going on. You know, if the dog hurts someone, I'm going to be responsible for that. I really hope that she doesn't. Um, I don't know that she has a capacity of hurting somebody, but she's an animal. She might get threatened and, and do something that um, is is not going to be good for her or me. And so I was trying to stay into the reality of what was going on. And I kept coming back to, and I have to surrender this. I have no ability to control what's happening here. And so it didn't stop my mind from going over to the left-hand side, though. I kept thinking of all these distortions and shame. And, and I was, you know, I remember feeling upset at the person who was watching her. And, and how could he let this happen? And doesn't he understand, you know, that, that, that I'm going to be responsible for this. And he doesn't care about me. And, and how could he put this kind of stress on me? And, and what was he thinking? And why didn't he pay attention to her? And, and you know, I've never lost her into the city. How did he do that? And so all these statements of, of feelings of upset and frustration and disgust and um, pride, like I've never done that before, <laughs> uh, were coming in. And, and I was trying, I wanted to control it. Um, but I, I couldn't, I was floating in the middle of the ocean. It was a really obvious thing that I had no control over. If I would have been someplace else, I might've tried to attempt to control the situation. Um, and so as I think back on that experience, I see how my, my unconsciousness was supporting me to be drawn over to this left side of this, of this dynamic and stay in distortion and stay in pride and fear and trying to control things in my thoughts and creating fantasies around, um, you know, I'll never let him watch her again. And, and, um, you know, he doesn't care about how I'm being impacted and he doesn't care about the dog. And I, I wonder if he had fed her and that's, or didn't feed her. And that's why she ran away because she was hungry. I mean, I was making up all these stories in my head and I had to keep coming back to saying, Jody, stop. You don't know any of that. And the truth is, is that your dog got out of the backyard and she's running around the city. That's all you know. It was the only facts you know. And so I felt on the right side, I felt fear. I felt anticipation. But I was able to, to go into humility and surrender. And, and you know, so de deconstruct my distortions and my fear. You know, tell myself the truth about them. And go into a place of surrender. Um, but I, again, these few examples just give you a taste of how quickly we can bounce back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between this place of distortion and distraction and shame and control and fear versus truth, uh, reality, 
um, responsibility, anticipation, humility, um, surrender, being able to tell yourself the truth about the stories you're telling yourself, deconstructing those distortions, and deconstructing the fear in those distortions. And choice is the thing that drives you either direction. Um, and so, again, it's so important to know yourself so that as you're knowing yourself, you're practicing loving yourself. And as you do that, you will be able to consciously choose where you want to go on this in, in this dynamic. Now, being human, you, you will always bounce back and forth between these two sides. You just will because you're vulnerable. And you don't have to live on that left side. A lot of us live there. It's like something goes on, we have an experience, and it's like, oh, well, there it is again. <laughs> you know, shame, the, 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 um, the uh, hallmark of shame is to continue to evidence, quote-unquote, itself. And what I mean by that is shame wants you to absolutely believe that its reality is the truth. So when you hear shame's message say to you, um, this kind of thing always happens. Or I can't do that because I'm not smart enough. Or this means I'm bad. Or she broke up with me and so that's evidence that I'm worthless. Those kind of statements want you to believe that they are the truth. And they are not the truth. They are distorted perceptions of experiences that you're having that, you know, the experience brings, brings emotion that is uncomfortable to you. And so instead of acknowledging the emotions uncomfortable and, and here it is, and I get to experience it, we want to hide from the uncomfortable emotion and and, and pretend that the experience is actually an indicator that I am not worthy or not good. Like the experience is the evidence of the quote-unquote truth of my shame message. I hope that makes sense to you. The experience, here's what shame tells you. The experience tells you that shame's lie is the truth. And it is not. Here's the truth. You ready? Experience is unbiased. Experience is something that happens to each of us. And then we get to decide how we're going to project, how we're going to perceive every experience. And we can perceive it in truth and in reality and in humility and taking responsibility for ourselves or we can perceive the experience in shame and distortion and distraction and fear. You get to choose. You can go either direction. And most of us, most of the time, bounce between those two. But I hope that you more so land on that right side. And it takes consciousness for you to do that. So that is a lot of information I just shared with you. And um, I want to do another podcast that follows up with uh, this this um, concept, these concepts of perception and um, and oh, where's my notes? Perceptions, emotional honesty, and boundaries. Um, 
I uh, didn't quite get to the emotional honesty piece and the boundary piece, but um, stay with me, and uh, next week's episode we'll be talking about emotional honesty. It'll be a part two of this part one series around perceptions and emotional honesty and boundaries. But my, my um, invitation for you this week is to carry that, that um, diagram with, with you or, or memorize it in your head and notice Every time you have an experience, which are thousands, you have thousands of experiences during the course of the day, when you have experience, notice which side you go to. Just notice it. Someone pulls in front of you. Where do you go? Do you go to, I can't believe they did that. How dare they do that to me? <laughs> or do you go to, whoa, you know, I almost hit them. They must be in a hurry. Okay? Um, the, the, the truth is that someone pulled in front of you. That's it. It's not personal at all. But the left side distorts it, like they did it to me. <laughs> the right side just gives the facts. That person just pulled in front of me, period. And it's my perception that I almost hit them. It's my true that I almost hit them. It's my true that maybe they're in a hurry. But I don't know any of those things. But it keeps me more on the right side where I can stay open to more data coming in instead of being closed and taking things so personal and going into shame. So just notice, because experience is going to continue to happen. It's not going to stop happening. It's an opportunity for you to really practice living in reality versus living in a place where there are where there's pain. And not, and not pain, because pain doesn't only come with distortion, but it's like self-induced pain. You know, experiences can bring opportunities to feel pain, but so many of us have pain because we hold things in a distorted way, which creates more and more pain. So there were a handful of questions that I wanted to answer um, that I'd like to go over here. And remember, these three concepts, perception, emotional honesty, and boundaries. And so um, as you are practicing knowing yourself and you're practicing becoming more familiar with the distraction cycle. You know, we're all having experience and then we're going to go one of two ways. We're either going to distort our experience and take it into a shame, fear, pride area, or we're going to hold it in truth, which means that we're emotionally honest with ourselves and we're emotionally honest with um, the, the situation that's happening, whether the outcomes are pleasurable or not. We hold it in truth. And then we respond um, from a place of truth with uh, anticipation or maybe it's appropriate to have fear. Like there's legitimate danger present. Um, and then we take responsibility for what's going on and we humbly respond. So um, this ability to be emotionally honest is so, so, so key in um, having perceptions that are of an accurate nature. So I have a couple questions here. Um, so emotional honesty is how to stay in truth and reality and avoid going into that distraction or distortion side of the distraction cycle. And so um, as a side note, I want to talk about things that set us up. Okay. So distractions, if we uh, you know, when we have experience, distraction happens when we are not able to really hold the experience in reality. And it's not that we can't, it's that we either don't know how or we're afraid to be emotionally honest about the experience. And so right there, there is a setup. A setup for what? Well, setup is something that supports us to go into further distraction and therefore fantasy. 
So distraction leads to fantasy, and fantasy leads to more distraction. So they're setting each other up, going back and forth. Um, and we want to do what we can uh, to avoid those those distractions, those distortions, because it just continues this this um, um, this cycle of distorted perception and therefore a lack of emotional honesty. So again, distorted thoughts, we have an experience, and if we don't hold it in emotional honesty, we will distort the, the perception that we're having. And through that distorted perception, we will have distorted thinking. You know, our, our thinking will be skewed from what's really going on. And our feelings follow our thoughts. And so the minute we distort our thoughts, we will have skewed feelings. And uh, the feelings, when I say about skewed, it talks about, well, you know, we'll have shame. We'll have faulty core beliefs. We'll, our fear will kick in. Our entitlements, our pride, our judgments, our, our erroneous expectations that other people or things should, quote unquote, happen the way that I want them to. And these are um, setups. These are situations where I will walk into further distortion um, slash distraction slash fantasies which then are more distortions for my perception to be skewed and have reactions or um, dishonest behavior or make choices that are full of shame, um, which lead to more disconnection, addiction, more deception, more manipulation, which again are more setups for distorted thinking and distorted feeling. And so as you can see, this cycle goes around and around and around. So... What is emotional honesty? You've got to be able to understand that. So emotional honesty is my ability to be really clear and um, courageous with being able to define what is happening in my world. And it is not conditioned on the emotional outcome of the situation. So for example, I don't define my situation only a certain way if I like the outcome or I like the feelings, or I uh, appreciate what I'm going to get from this experience. Emotional honesty, or, you know, slash honesty, just being honest, um, whether it's about the experience or my own emotions, is this willingness to humbly and bravely step into each experience regardless of outcomes, regardless of emotional outcomes, regardless of expectations being met, and to clearly define what's happening. When you are willing to be honest to that kind of rigor, you cannot be deceived. It, you, it is impossible to be deceived at that level of awareness. Because what you're saying is, I am open and I am available to really see clearly what is happening. So another... Um, Question: It says, "How does it? How does? Sh how? How does it show emotional honesty when I make sure that as I tell a story or an event in my life that I speak from my perspective and use the pronoun I instead of we?" So I'm a stickler on language because language creates meaning, and language, uh, because it creates meaning, uh, is used to um, um, persuade our emotions. And so uh, when people are talking, they will oftentimes use the pronoun we. And we, uh, if used in a way to um, distort, will not 
suggest that the person take accountability for themselves. <laughs> so they will uh, say, well, we were late. And I'll, I'll uh, invite them to say, we or you were late. Well, we didn't quite get here on time. Uh, I understand that, but you were the one that was responsible to get here. And um, why don't you just own that you were late? And a lot of times people feel really uncomfortable. Their their level of honesty is not um, um, interested in taking that kind of rigorous accountability. And so I will oftentimes um, direct their attention to if they are wanting to practice this kind of rigor of honesty, they must start from a position of I instead of we or they or us. Those kind of plural pronouns um, um, give us some kind of quote-unquote refuge from really taking accountability for the things that we're choosing. And, um, you know, there's a reason why people use those kind of pronouns um, because oftentimes they want to hide behind uh, someone else and not really be fully accountable for the choices that they're making. So being willing to speak and using the pronoun I is a very important um, um, indicator for you that you are learning to be emotionally honest. Another question. If I tell a little white lie, listen to this language, a little white lie. It's not big and it's not black. It's little and it's white. And it's a lie. If I tell a little white lie to help someone feel better than telling them something that will hurt them, isn't that a better and safer way for me to communicate than black and white honesty? And what I'd say, if you are wanting to practice emotional honesty, is that this isn't about manipulating truth. It's not about manipulating um, a, a storyline. It's about being willing to be... Um, factually honest and emotionally honest. Now, does that mean that you say something that is aggressive and mean to someone that you know will be devastating to them? No. And so I don't know that you have to be black and white in your honesty. Sometimes you do. Sometimes it, it calls for very clear, unambiguous language. Other times, you don't have to talk like that. You can say things like, I am really disturbed by the choices that you've made, instead of saying, that was a dumb choice. <laughs> so you get to be very um, uh, sophisticated with the language, and you get to be um, more conscious about what your motives are. Um, if someone has done something or is behaving in a way that is um, completely inappropriate, you can be very clear with them, especially if you need them to get a clear, direct message um, very quickly. You can say, that was not a good choice. Um, that was not, um, you know, your behavior uh, really caused so-and-so pain. Um, so sometimes you do need to be black and white, other times you don't. But don't change or distort the experience or the honesty about the experience because you are trying to, quote unquote, save or help someone not feel bad. You are not responsible to control how they feel. You are only responsible to be honest with yourself and the people that you are connected with. Um, again, remember, emotional honesty is what allows you to perceive your world accurately. So <clears throat> another question, what is helpful about considering how emotional honesty or about emotional, 
excuse me, let me say this again. What is helpful about considering how emotionally honest I am throughout my day? I would say the reason that is helpful is because it creates consciousness. Um, when you pay attention to the rigor of your awareness, you know, your honesty throughout the day, you are um, awake. You are scrutinizing yourself. You're being critical, quote unquote, critical um, around your uh, perceptions. And that's good. You want to do that. This isn't about shaming yourself. This is about really being um, in tune with your senses and um, other people's uh, language and their meaning and asking questions. You are responsible to have that kind of awareness so that you can uh, be connected to yourself and other people. Another question, how does emotional honesty build and foster my relationships? Um, the reason it builds them is because of what I was just talking about. When you are in an honest and you're willing to perceive in truth and in accuracy, um, it fosters and builds them because it creates connection. The outcome of emotional honesty is connection. Isn't that awesome? So being able to perceive in truth, so you're, you're, you're looking for, you know, we went through what truth looks like versus true. Being able to perceive accurately will create an outcome of connection. Being able to be emotionally honest. Um, you know, my son had a, had a speech today in, um, in a, a group of people. And after he got done, all these people came up and were very emotionally honest with him and told him how he affected them for good. Now, what if he would have given that speech and he affected people in a way that was uncomfortable for them? Many of them may not have said anything. <laughs> Even though they still were impacted, they may not have been willing to be that emotionally honest. Like, wow, that information really affected me and it um, allowed me to feel discomfort and um, po poked at me in a way to wake me up to some areas that I need to change. Um, so that's how it creates, um, how, how it builds and fosters relationships is that it, it, the outcome or the fruits of emotional honesty is that we get to be connected with one another. All right. So a few more questions. Here's some questions about boundaries. So boundaries were a part of this. Once I understand about emotional honesty and perception, then I can hold my boundaries with people. Um, so here's a question on boundaries. How, or how do I hold boundaries with people who have power in my life? Okay, so again, once I understand perceptions and I know how to be emotionally honest, then anyone in my life, whether they have emotional importance to me or not, it, this is about me sharing myself with them. I don't need to do anything different. I just need to be able to be aware of me, connected to me, so that when I give information to someone else, it is um, it has truth in it. And so, again, boundaries are about sharing what I know about me with you. And And, again, you have the responsibility as well to share you with me. And I can't know about you if you don't know about you. And, you know, that sounds kind of obvious, but sometimes it's not <laughs> very obvious. Um, and so uh, it is it is <laughs> mandatory that I have to learn about myself in order to share me with somebody else. All right. And then I have one more other, one more question about um, 
boundaries. It says, what does healthy interaction look like with unhealthy individuals? Now, that may not sound like a boundary question, um, but I'd like to interpret it as it is a boundary question because um, what does a healthy interaction, so me being in honesty, me being in, a, in an appropriate perception for myself and being emotionally honest, so I'm in a healthy interaction with self, and I'm inviting that healthy interaction with someone else who is um, theoretically disconnected or is in an unhealthy place. Well, what what that means is, or what that looks like, is that, again, I share in truth how I perceive my world and the world around me and how I'm being affected by um, things and people. And I'm not accusing, I'm not blaming, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm sharing my angle and what I know or I believe or I espouse with people that I'm either close to or I'm not close to. And so I stay connected. I stay connected to myself. I stay connected to a higher power if I uh, believe that there is such a thing. And I invite that kind of interaction or connection with the other person. Now, um, I do that by sharing me. And as I share me, I'm sharing my boundaries. I'm sharing specifics about me. And I'm teaching them about what I believe and value and honor and, and, and uh, follow and um, commit to. And so what does a healthy interaction look like with unhealthy individuals? It's just a sharing and an inviting to connect. And your responsibility is to stay present and to stay connected to yourself and to not go into drama because drama automatically disconnects you um, and be awake and present in that dynamic so that you can stay available. Even if they're not capable of being there right now for whatever reason, either they don't know how or they can't get out of drama because they're in shame or pride, that's okay. Just continue to stay connected to them. Um, in, in, you know, when I say stay connected to them, it means stay connectable, stay available to be connected with, which means be empathic, be compassionate, continue to stay in honesty, and continue to invite them to connect with you. Alrighty. I... Um, believe I've I've covered all those areas and uh, if you have any other questions there's always a place on the website at connectionsclassroom.com underneath the podcast um, button where you can ask your questions and I would really appreciate questions coming towards me um, your questions make these podcasts capable and, and possible so I really appreciate your interest and your listening and between now and next time we meet, stay connected, stay emotionally available and emotionally honest so that your perceptions are accurate for you. And then you can share you with appropriate boundaries with others. Take care. And until then, see you later. Bye-bye. We so appreciate you and your support in spreading this crucial message to your family your friends, and your co-workers. Your greatest compliment to us would be for you to refer your loved ones to the podcast and classes at connectionsclassroom.com. Please go on to YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram and follow us for continual education, motivation, and truth. Stay connected, my friends.